Welcome to More Than Special with Jermaine Suford. Our program is of interest to parents, family members, and caregivers of children and adults with special needs. Whether it's an acquired delay or one from birth, we'll speak with experts to bring you answers, information, and compassion. Now, here's your host, Jermaine Suford. Hello, everybody. I'm here today with Megan Swanson. We're going to be talking about theory of mind. And first, let me introduce Megan. She has, uh, she's a BCPA, a licensed special education teacher, and has 22 years of experience in the field working with families with a child with autism. So, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Can you... um, Maybe start by telling me how you even got into the field before we get into um, how theory of mind impacts your work. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's so interesting. Everyone sort of all of, you know, colleagues you work with, professionals you meet through the years, everyone sort of gets in in a different way, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I had finished high school and didn't know what I wanted to do didn't know, just was looking for a job. And I found a job as a paraprofessional um, in an elementary school in this newfangled idea called an autism classroom. (laughs) This was a long time ago. And I learned about autism. And I had never, it was just like a whole new world had opened up. A whole new world. And that sort of began my journey. That was 1998. And that was in the U.S., right? Because that was, yeah, that was in Kansas, in Lawrence, Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Lawrence. Yep. Um, and, but you got your degree in Wales. I did. I sort of, I, I got my undergraduate in Denver and um, I got my teaching degrees in Denver. And then I decided I wasn't done. And um, I was doing some research in autism and um, different, you know, therapies. And there was a lot of new research about autism coming out of Great Britain. So I looked at the universities. I applied at a couple different ones. And then I uh, went and I visited the ones I got into. And I settled on the University of Wales. And... um, I went to the university there in Carleon, and I got a master's in autism. It was pretty exciting stuff. So one of the topics that we're going to have today is about how culturally different experiences going somewhere where um, nuances and intention cloud your understanding of what's going on. So I imagine that while you're learning about some of these concepts, you're actually experiencing them because you're like, in a whole different world. Like they speak English, but it's not Lawrence, Kansas anymore. <laughs> I, heard, I heard that joke a lot, actually. Yeah, you did? Yeah, across Sorry. the pond. Yeah, no, it was good. It's, 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 and that's, that's a good example of being able to sort of, you know, um, understand a concept and sort of integrate it into, into relationally what you already understand. <clears throat> Most people have seen or have heard of the wizard of Oz. And so meeting someone from Kansas, uh, it was really, it was, it was a way to, to understand, you know, yeah. I'm really, yeah. I'm from Wales, so 
I had no sort of, um, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. I met some amazing people from all over the world in that program, um, really interesting stories. And we talked about all different, um, the pieces around autism and uh, therapies. Um, and I did a lot of uh, applied behavior analysis there with kids um, and then came back to the U.S. and got my board certification, my BCBA, from the um, University of Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a nice progression because I've been able to work with so many different types of populations. Yeah. Sleep kids on the spectrum, but in different contexts, family, schools, in home, in communities. Right. Um, it's been a, it's been a great journey. Yeah. Well, to explain our topic today, it's, a, it's slightly abstract because it's hard. It's hard to set in somebody else's shoes who can't set in shoes of somebody else. It's yeah. The, the topic of theory of mind that we're going to talk about today is um, common in individuals with autism, but there's also other diagnoses that this is uh, a deficit and this is common in. And I mean, there's, there's also different severities. Some people may have some, or it may take time um, that other people may be speedier with theory of mind. But the definition that I found that seemed Um, to explain it the best was that theory of mind is the ability to attribute mental states, including beliefs, intentions, desires, emotions, and knowledge to oneself and others. So, and that others can be different is a big piece of this. Um, So it, like when it comes to inferring others' behaviors, judging others' behaviors, analyzing others, but also yourself, if you um, find it difficult to stand in someone else's shoes because they are so potentially they're culturally different that you just like out of the blue, there's this really weird behavior somebody is is expressing and you haven't done that yourself or whatever the, um, there's so many different examples of typically developing high-functioning people with theory of mind um, to a high degree who still have difficulty standing in someone else's shoes. Yeah. And when it comes to cultural differences, um, when I've been across the pond, um, going from the U.S., going to other countries, it's really difficult for me to understand different facial features, just like at the checkout. Um, I don't understand some of those subtle nuances until somebody kind of prompts me or points at me or tells me what I'm doing wrong. And then I know the next time to do it, do it a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and, and so sometimes these cultural differences are present, but also just people being raised in different parts of even in the U S there might be, there's the soda people and there's the pop people. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and so it's yeah. hard to stand in somebody else's shoes if you've never even heard of what pop is, <laughs> you know. Like, right. Know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Example, I was part of the, um, so the International Student Sort of Association when I went to the University of Wales. And the first night 
you know, they got all of us together. We're from all over the world. And, and the university decided to take us bowling. And um, about a quarter of the people there had never seen a bowling ball, had never, didn't even know bowling was a thing. Right. Really have a, and so it was really interesting. And I I would have never thought, (laughs) you know? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so when I think of theory of mind, I think of, I always think of sort of, um, there's a foundation of skills, right? It's kind of like theory of mind, I was thinking earlier this morning, it's like, it's like a pizza, right? So you can't have a pizza unless you have crust and sauce and cheese and toppings. And, you know, theory of mind has all of these uh, composite skill sets, right? So you have to have um, joint attention. And joint attention really is on a basic level, it's just shared attention, Um, being able to understand people's facial features, you know, the prereqs for language and play skills, all those things that we do when we're interacting with others. So like pretending? Mm-hmm. Pretend play is oftentimes a, a pretty popular program that I, I run with kids. Um parallel play, you know, being next to a kiddo, but playing, but not interacting and then getting to that next step where you're having cooperative play Mm. with one item and sharing that item. Um, Yeah. That's definitely a difficulty with kids on the spectrum for sure. Yeah. We said just sharing something that's important, but sharing to share. Yes. Yeah. We see sort of peaks and valleys. I sort of think about it, right. With um, kids on the spectrum sort of responding correctly to points or gestures of others or initiating communication with gestures with the purpose of sharing. Mm-hmm. And the, the pointing is so uh, it, it's always brought up when kids are in, in like their, 18-month well baby checkup, um, pediatricians, part of an assessment may include pointing across the room to see if an 18-month-old can look where the person is pointing. And if a kiddo doesn't have that, that is a red flag for um, that they may be on the spectrum. Diagnosing kids that young is generally pretty difficult because they don't have the language skills to be able to do an assessment but sometimes kiddos will get a what do you call that assessment when it's like uh, conditional based on you know like it's probable but um, you know if they have some of those symptoms but yet they aren't yet old enough to maybe retest in three years or something but that finger point is a big one kids a lot of times will look at the tip of the finger and not where the finger is directing across the room. Yeah. They, um, you know, sometimes kids have difficulty determining like with pointing the most meaningful feature of a given stimulus. Right. So um, I'm at a zoo with my kiddo and we're standing in front of the the monkey enclosure Mm -hmm. and I point at one of the monkeys who's, who's having a, you know, putting on a sort of um, a grandstand about like a banana or something. I don't know, but noise and movement, yeah. 
everything. It's yeah. clear. And I might point and, and the kiddo might, you know, my kiddo might not be able to follow my point and instead look at my elbow and somehow then the child looks right. So, yeah. you know, you and sort of, I always think about that, like hyper-focus, um, you know, it, it's hard sometimes when we talk about that peaks and valleys, it's hard to um, really pay attention to the most important, how to determine the most important stimuli in front of you, you know, whatever that thing is, um, is part of joint attention, which is sort of a basic skill. It's part of that pizza, right? That theory of mind pizza. Um, kids also sometimes have a hard time learning the meaning attached to the stimuli that's novel, right? Uh, and, you know, getting that and discriminating against something else. So imagine a child learning what a symbol is, right? Um, and learning how to use that symbol, like learning what a stop sign is, how to use the stop sign, how to integrate it into their daily life when they come up to a stop sign, what to do, um, and then how to relate it to other information that they already have. So other community signs, uh, crosswalk signs, those kinds of things. Mm. So, um, and now think about if that same child is non-vocal. So let's say they don't have, um, if they're unable to speak um, or, or they're learning signals and gestures, they're learning how to point at things still. Um, and then think about in having them interpret other people's facial features. So all of those skills are part of the foundation for theory of mind and are oftentimes incorporated into one single social interaction. Right. Yeah. Cause I could imagine just cause you brought up pizza going out to lunch with somebody there's the person behind the counter that you're ordering from. There's the waiter, server, there's the host, there's all these people. And then there's a person you went out to lunch with. And to have a meaningful conversation, there's so many little subtle nuances of, um, of an experience like that, that if you are missing some of those subtleties like that you were supposed to order and you didn't know because you didn't get the, you know, the, when the waiter stands there with the, the book in their hand and a pen and they're staring at you and they ask, what do you want? But if you don't get that, then you make a faux pas and then you're likely not, you know, if you're embarrassed or you're, if you don't get it, if you don't understand why you don't have a pizza yet, you may not go back to that restaurant. You may not continue to go to restaurants. You may not go continue to go to lunch with friends or family members. And it would increase your social isolation, which then would reduce your experiences to, to learn theory of mind. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. Yeah. And it's really easily overlooked, right? If, if I wasn't in the field I was, I'm in, I might not think about theory of mind, but because we think about it all the time, working with all of our clients, um, not just kids, right? Adults. Yeah. Um, neurodiverse or neurotypical adults. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a block. It's a foundation for, you know, 
a socially significant program and a, and a happy, fulfilled, independent life. It's really hard when I'm sure most people can relate. They've been in a situation where they sort of come away from the situation and they're like, I'm, something was a little off. I'm not quite sure. And a lot of times it's, they just didn't understand a nuanced, you know, something, even, even intonation and voice volume um, are part of the sort of non-vocal social interaction and misinterpreting those signals, those cues, those gestures, um, because we don't have the sort of frame of, of theory of mind is, it is, can be really problematic. Um, you know, I know that when I was in Wales, I didn't understand, I was also learning Welsh at the time, and uh, I didn't understand, you know, the certain intonations of certain words in Welsh are different than in English. And I was also teaching um, in schools. And I had a lot of kids help me gain theory of mind. <laughs> we would go back and forth a lot and I would, you know, it's a process, right? And so um, it's easy to get frustrated during that process. So imagine you're neurodiverse and you are your first day of first grade. You know, let's not talk about this year with COVID, right? Let's just a, a typical year. Yeah. Let alone a COVID year. And you're setting, um, you know, in a small group with your teacher and your teacher's giving you instruction and um, you sort of have that hyper focus, right? So maybe you hear the heater or the air conditioner sound. And, and so you sort of miss some of the things the teacher says and you're looking over here and, and then, um, you know, not only have you misinterpreted probably some of the signals, the non-vocal cues in that direction, but you also are unable to attend to the appropriate stimuli, right? You're hyper-focused on something over here instead of what's mm. in front of you. And, and so you've missed the information of your lesson. Your teacher's probably wondering if you're okay or, you know, frustrated that you're not paying attention. Right. Might think um, you're choosing to not pay attention. Right. And it builds and it, it's easily a house of cards, just all falls down. Yeah. Yeah. And so with a lot of kiddos having sensory issues, having attentional issues, and then add to that if they don't understand some of these pieces of required to have theory of mind, they'd be probably failing in school really easily and employment. I was thinking about how, like with the cultural aspects of this, how this really um, impacts adults who maybe did succeed in a structured environment like an elementary school. You know, they have assignments, they learn the teachers, the important one in the classroom, ignore all the, like they learn their rules to succeed in that environment. And then they go into the workforce and it's less structured and there's more variability and there's, you have to get along with your coworker. I mean, I, I know that there's some industries where you don't have to get along with your coworker, but it's a pleasant place to work if you do. <laughs> um, and and if you if you aren't self-employed, then all of these joint attention pieces and um, you know being able to learn from what somebody else is doing. If you're new to the position, there's something you're 
supervisor didn't show you. And so if you can watch a peer go through that process, if it's a detailed process and you missed a step, you could easily be fired. But if, if you can observe your peer and learn from what they're doing, um, that is such a skill set that sets people aside who have high theory of mind versus low theory of mind. And um, when I spoke last week with somebody about employment on the spectrum, uh, this is such a big part of that, that if, if, if you don't have these precursor skills, you are likely to be unemployed. And therefore, then they're, they're, that's another house of cards. Then you're likely to not have um, a stable place to live and you're not, likely not going to have as enjoyable of a, of a life. Um, I, I also was thinking about with other groups, um, I understand. So there's not a lot of research about theory of mind. There needs to be more. It was, it was, it was like found kind of described. We, a lot of us in the field really have accepted that this is a thing. Um, there's also though, a lot of people, and I know that you're a BCBA and so I'm not going to say anything. It's not a negative, but there are some BCBAs and other behaviorists who do not believe that researching thought or what's happening that you can't observe like um, beliefs is meaningful because we are, but our behavior, but, but on the, on some other side, there's, we, we know when a kiddo doesn't seem to get what we're trying to get them to, understand yeah like our gut tells us when somebody has got low theory of mind um and so i i saw that there was the stat of the 80 percent of kids on the spectrum seem to not be able to pass some of the tests and i'll ask you about the sally ann test because that's the big one that people know about but um but also there's schizophrenia has um a high correlation to low um theory of mind yeah. And I, I also saw somewhere that people who have um, alcohol toxicity, so it's like a high level. So like imagine somebody who's been drinking a lot yeah. and they probably then misunderstand what the person next to them is saying. Yeah. Even if that person's been drinking a lot and they've been getting along the whole evening, there, there's a lack of understanding that the person might have said something incorrectly or... You know, and and those are short-term theory of mind um, deficits. Well, theoretically, I mean, I don't know what that person does with the rest of their time, but um, but it's recoverable. Whereas the the it seems as though people with schizophrenia potentially are declining in their mental capacities, um, and theory of mind decreases over their time. But one of the, Something I, I was really surprised at was when I was looking at the correlation with dementia and other like neural, uh, if, if a brain is degrading for one reason or another, but like normally um, without other diagnoses, um, just in aging, an aging brain, there yeah. is not a deficit correlation with theory of mind. People continue to understand that other people have different beliefs and intentions. They may not be able to express it as well, or they may not be able to act on their own. But I found that really interesting that some people um, do get, get better. Some people do get worse. Some people at short term, some people, but, but a neurotypical person, if they have high theory of mind, will not, that will not reduce when they get older. 
Um, yeah. And, and that there's no correlation with IQ was the other one that there can be um, a kiddo who has really high functioning autism may have really low theory of mind. So they may have the language skills to, to make you think that they understand what you're doing or why you're doing it, but they may not have this uh, under core piece. It's really fascinating to, to see some of these because it kind of helps to define what it even is. Um, this thing that obviously it needs more research, maybe better um, integration into treatment. Yeah, it is. It's it's really interesting how it is across settings, people, cultures. Um, it can it, it's always there, and it it's really interesting how it ties in to so many different disabilities and disorders too. Um, one of the things I wanted to sort of touch on before we go into the Sally Ann test was just more specifically. So th- there hasn't been a lot of research, but there has been some. Sort of one of the, the big names when we think about theory of mind is, is Simon Baron Cohen. And he's this um, really brilliant guy, uh, again, from Britain, right? And I was like, oh, he's, and he had so many interesting things about theory of mind. Um, and he was the one that developed, he and his team developed the, the Sally Ann test we'll get into. But, but he sort of came up with this term called mind blindness, which helps understand a little bit about theory of mind. And, and that's the name of his book, right? Mind Blindness? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of them. Yeah. 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 Um, and he tries to explain and just sort of a synopsis of what that is really is. They, he goes into saying it's, it's sort of delays in the development of theory of mind, right? So everyone, you know, the idea is everyone ha- is going to get 100% the concept and all the, the the composite skill sets of theory of mind. Um, And it's the inability to develop an awareness of what is in the mind of another human. And it's not necessarily caused by an inability to imagine the answer, but often due to not being able to gather enough information to work out which of the many possible answers is correct. So, so I can imagine something might be going on. And if I have a really high language skill set, I could even describe all the possibilities. But my ability to pick which one you um, are coming from, that's the difference, right? Right. And, yeah. And I know, I know we've talked about like with little kids, we as people who work with kids with autism, we highly celebrate the day they lie. Yeah, (laughs) it's we and there's some kids who will never lie because they don't understand the idea that I'm going to deceive you. But um, when kids fail at playing hide and go seek, it's basically lying, right? They're hiding. Right. Um, And so when kids tell that first lie and and they really think they're going to get away with it, (laughs) we we love that day as, as interventionists because then we know that they're going up a step in the theory of mind hierarchy, I guess you could say. Um, and, and when we come back, I do want to go through, I have the five um, easiest to hardest uh, skill sets of theory of mind. And also let's go over what the Sally Ann test is, because that will help explain uh, uh, what somebody who doesn't have theory of mind may do in an error 
I guess you could say. So we'll be right back. Thank you. out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Every Saturday morning, listen for the Superstar Sports Talk Block on Voice America Variety. We've got the best programs. If you want to talk football, hunting, outdoors, racing, and more, the weekends belong to sports. And you'll find it every Saturday beginning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time. You'll hear from the players, owners, experts, and fans from around the world. It's the Saturday Superstar Sports Talk Block. Wow, that's a mouthful. And it's only on the Voice America Variety. Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. You're listening to More Than Special with Jermaine Suford. To connect with Jermaine, or if you have a question or comment about the show, send your email to Jermaine at morethanspecial.org. That's G-E-R-M-A-I-N-E at morethanspecial.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Um, Before the break, we were talking briefly about um, an assessment skill uh, test, I guess, called the Sally Ann test. Um, Can you explain what that is, Megan? Yeah. So the the Sally Ann test was uh, developed as a way to, a hypothesis to measure, um, you know, if there's deficits in theory of mind in, in kids and adults. And so it's a, it's a psychological test used, to de, uh, used in developmental psychology, and it measures a person's social cognitive ability to attribute false beliefs to others. Okay? Okay. It's, it's false kind of, beliefs. Yeah, false beliefs. So let me, let me just sort of, we'll get into the meat and potatoes, and it'll make more sense. Okay. Um, so you have two dolls. Uh, Sally and Anne. Those are the two dolls. Sally has a basket 
and Anne has a box. And the experimenter shows their subjects, right, usually children, um, a simple skit, which Sally puts a marble in her basket and then leaves the scene. So Sally has a basket, Anne has a box. Sally puts a marble in her basket and then Sally leaves. Okay. Okay. While Sally is away and can't see what's going on, Sally's gone. She can't sort of, she's not sneaking behind the sofa to look at what's going on. Okay. Anne takes the marble out of Sally's basket and puts it in her own box. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sally comes back. And then the children, right, this, the, whoever's doing the, the assessment, mm-hmm. asked um, where they think she will look for her marble. Because if you have theory of mind, you understand that she will look where she left it. Right. So children are said to pass the test if they understand that Sally will most likely look inside her basket before realizing that her marble isn't there. Right. Because they know that Sally didn't see and move it. So, but if they have a deficit with theory of mind, they will look where they know because they saw it being moved. Right. So this is like the, um, the shell game. It's like all those kind of deceptive skills that, when kids learn to lie, right, then we celebrate because now they know that they can move the marble and get away with it. Right. They understand that their perspective is different than Sally's perspective. Mm-hmm. Because perspective is tied to if, they, if, if Sally's solid or not. Right. And Sally and them are different. And all of that goes into their ability to to attribute false beliefs to others. Right. And so this is a developmental skill. So it could be that a kiddo doesn't have this at two years old or a kiddo doesn't have this at four, but just like with some of those other, um, like learning how to play hide and go seek, you can learn these over time and some kids learn it sooner and other kids. And so those kids who learn it sooner are really good at playing hide and go seek. Yes. Yeah, it's like like older brothers are always better. Being that I know we have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're always better because they're older. Yeah. Um, that's so that makes a lot of sense. I I do want to explain the difference with empathy because I have a feeling that that if you empathized with one of those characters um, that's different than understanding the deception. So I found this um, article and it's uh, a researcher and I'm going to mispronounce her last name, but so I'll put her in the show notes, but it's D-Z-I-O-B-E-K. And she did a study about um, empathy with people with autism. So not specific to theory of mind, but I did want to see how that difference is um, 
and and her explanation is that their data shows from her assessment of of empathy with people on the spectrum is that people on the spectrum have a reduced ability to read others' social cues, such as their facial expressions or body language. So that's the theory of mind piece. But once they are aware of that person's circumstance or feelings, that they have the same degree of compassion and empathy as anyone else. So not getting it doesn't mean that they don't care. And I think that it, because it sounds like if you were to believe that the marble was in the box versus the basket or vice versa, it doesn't then imply your emotional response to that person or the quality of that person. You aren't, you, you may still have empathy for somebody who's going through something that, that you've never experienced before, but you need, you may not get it initially, but once you do, um, people with low theory of mind still, it's not correlated with their compassion or empathy. Um, That's a good distinction. To yeah. Make. Yeah. Cause I, I, it makes, it makes people on the spectrum or, or these other diagnoses or whatever sound like they don't care about what's going on, but that's not the same thing. That's correct. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, you know, um, and I, I will probably touch on just cause she's such an important part of this sort of idea as well. Temple Grandin, but Temple, yeah. Temple Grandin, um, she was asked a really similar question in one of her many, uh, conferences that she holds. And she said, you'll never find someone more loyal. Yeah. You'll never find someone who cares more, basically. Right. They may not show it. They may not give the eye contact three hugs a day and say, I love you yeah. as frequently. Oh, they might. But, um, you know, what comes with an autism diagnosis is this feeling of a lack of empathy. But her explanation about loyalty is um, in the same vein people may not demonstrate loyalty very well in our social context, <laughs> but it's there, which um, yeah. there's a lot of different relationships that um, somebody may feel like somebody isn't demonstrating a feeling well enough. And that's part of like how we, we have to understand that that person is coming from a different place and they're, they're different than us, but that doesn't mean that they are less loyal or love less or, empathize or have less compassion. Um, another thing that I have that I'll, I'll read through really quickly is um, tasks that are considered theory of mind abilities in an order of easiest to most difficult. And it's a quick list. So the first one, the easiest one is understanding that the reasons why people might want something, i.e. their desires might be different from one person to the next. So desire, understanding difference in desires. The second one is understanding that people have different beliefs about the same thing or situation. So I believe something different, even though we both experience the same thing than what you believe. Yeah. The third one is that people may not comprehend or have the knowledge that something is true. So if, if I believe something to be true, I may not understand that you don't have that information. Which, right. I mean, imagine being on the workplace and not understanding that I think something is true. Therefore, you must think something is true. Um, the fourth one is understanding that people can hold a false belief about the world. So that's the marble or the ball in the, is it 
marble than the Sally Ann test? Yeah. Yeah. Marble in the basket. Marble. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that's the fourth level. Um, and then the fifth one is understanding that people can have hidden emotions or that they may act one way while feeling another way. And mm -hmm. that seems like, I mean, that's like junior high, high school 101 that somebody may feel something and act totally different. Imagine trying to initiate a relationship, a romantic relationship and you're 16 and, you know, like I, I picture it actually with really young kids when they're like, they really want to talk to a girl, but they like push them away. Right. Like um, how that must be misunderstood just everywhere that I'm going to feel one thing and act another way. And that that's okay, because if somebody has low theory of mind, though, and they see somebody push somebody or bully somebody, they may think that that person actually is coming from that place, that their behavior equals their thought. Yeah, you know, and dating, I mean, you hit underline some dating is so many prerequisite skills are needed to date. And it's successfully, successfully <laughs> to date successfully. And, and that's why it's so important to, we, we talk a lot about um, the different places um, that, that I've worked and um, the different families that I've worked with. We talk a lot about, you know, the first or second time I meet a family, I'm like, so what does five years look like from now? What does 10 years look like from now? Because these skills, some of, some of these theory of mind uh, you know, prereq skills, we need to work on for two or three years, you know, because they do want their son or daughter to date, right? Yeah, or yeah. Or to it's, get married, you know. It's, it's the first thing that I hear from parents is I want my son or daughter to get married. Yeah. And if they don't have some of these precursor skills, you better get working on them. Right, let, let alone dating, but then being in a relationship. Yeah. There's a lot of theory of mind. And you hit on that list too. You said, I think number two was believing. I can't tell you how many times I've worked with kids where um, they'll be describing to me their favorite video game, right? It'll be Minecraft or it'll be, I don't know. And, and, all, it, and it blows their mind when I say, I don't really like Minecraft. How they, could you not like it? How, how is that possible? It's impossible. <laughs> it, it's a, I mean, it literally is like they, it's impossible for them yeah. to understand that someone else doesn't like what they like. Yeah. And the opposite too. If I don't like uh, anchovies on my pizza, then you <laughs> must also not like anchovies on your pizza. And if you do, then you're just crazy. Like, I don't, I don't even know. You must have a tail. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and, and so working on those skill sets and programming around theory of mind early, early, early on. And there's a lot of great assessments out there and curriculums out there for it that we can put in the notes later. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, it's so important, right? Because it, it, it really is connected to functional adult skills from day one, <laughs> working in a job, driving a vehicle requires theory of mind. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because you, you have to assume what's happening in the car next to you is different than what's happening in your car, which, you know, I mean, if you look at road rage, it's like 
it's like that um, same temporary loss of theory of mind. It's like you get so agitated that you lose the ability to understand what, that somebody else is going through something else than you. And, you know, the, the number of times I've heard people when I've been a passenger in a car, like, be so frustrated with a car in front of them. How? They're so crazy. Why are they doing whatever it is that they're doing? And it's like, well, maybe they're in a different scenario or situation or, you yeah. know, maybe they're rushing to get to the hospital because they have a broken thumb or who knows what's going on. But it's hard to put yourself in somebody else's shoes when you're also aggravated so so you were touching on this but if a parent came to you and they have a newly diagnosed kiddo and you're thinking in the theory of mind world because i know that there's other areas that that you could talk about but specific to this what would you suggest they start considering or start doing Mm, boy that's a good question (laughs) um so if it was a you know someone i hadn't talked to before and Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we, I, I uh, work with, with, I get calls from parents that, that, you know, their kids, their kid is not diagnosed and they're not sure. And maybe they've talked to the pediatrician and the pediatrician just says, Oh, they'll catch up. Yeah. They're worried. Right. I usually suggest there's a really great assessment called an M chat. It can be a screening that parents can do online and, and take that, to their doctor, their pediatrician, and then the pediatrician can do one too. So that's M-C-H-A-T. I just want to be mm-hmm. sure that people know what an M-chat is. And it's, yeah. it's, it's usually really young kiddos who are getting this assessment done. It's not usually like an 18-year-old would have an M-chat done. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and, you know, so I, I would suggest that, and I would suggest to – you know, there's a couple of sort of basic things that I, I always think, man, I wish I would have had been able to do this right when I first started, you know, in mm-hmm. 1998, but really have an open mind. Um, you know, we, we think, you know, I, I never sort of had a thought that I might not have a hundred percent theory of mind, but, you know, be very open to your child's behavior the way they communicate, how they understand the world, how they see the world. Because when you start teaching them, you know, these, these prereq skills of theory of mind and pointing and looking at the points and the joint attention skills and the reading the facial expressions and understanding intonation and volume, um, the expectation, I always, you know, talk with parents about the expectation needs to be where they're at and where they're going, Right. Because everyone has to, you, you, this is a marathon. This is not a, this is not a sprint. And, you know, there are A through Z steps and you can't get to Z, you know, by skipping all the other letters. And yeah, you have to be open and, and you just kind of come to that mindset. If you have to be calm and open and ready to teach your kiddo, but also learn how you're, child understands the world because that's going to give you where to start. So you're saying use your theory of mind skills, stand in their shoes, mind skills. (laughs) And you know, something that frequently comes up for me is you can't punish a kid into learning these. Like 
just because a kid out, if they don't demonstrate these skills in the classroom and they're therefore disruptive or not paying attention or failing, you can't give them bad grades and they learn theory of mind. You can't give them uh, suspension and then they learn theory of mind. You actually have to teach really specific skills. And like if I was to do a pretend play skit with somebody, I could take turns and I could do, I could be one puppet and they could be another puppet and we could develop a brand new story together and I could have one sentence and then they have one sentence and then I have one sentence and they have one sentence. I remember there was um, something that a lot of sibling work would be like to build a Lego block, not a Lego, the blocks, um, select Jenga, build it Mm -hmm. up and each person take turns. And so everyone has the equal amount of time and energy on a task. There's like joint experiences. There's a lot of kids who don't get those. And so they miss some of these really early precursor skills of sharing and, and spending time together in an activity, therefore not having the opportunity to learn all these other pieces of theory of mind. And then they go to school and then they don't get why their teacher doesn't understand them. And You know, one of the things, too, I was thinking, theory of mind, this is related to medical totally because when, if you were to ask me how am I feeling today, and if my belly hurt and I didn't have theory of mind, I wouldn't tell you because I wouldn't even know to tell you. I wouldn't even know that you are a doctor and you're in an ER and you're asking me a question uh, that, that I need to reflect internally, consider, and then explain my situation because you may not already be psychic and know. (laughs) And I see that with a lot of kids where they have sensory issues, but they can't explain them where they have medical concerns, but they bang their head instead of saying I have a headache. And so we treat them for the head banging by restraining their arm instead of treating their headache because we didn't know. And, and it's like, this revolves back into the trauma uh, stuff that we've talked about in other episodes. And <clears throat> yeah, if we aren't addressing the, the precursor. This is one of those skills that we could easily add to every kid typical and not because it's a developmental skill that you don't have to have autism to have this as a topic um, that other people are different. Yeah. You know, and it's, I, I think that, that that sort of, you touched on the second thing I would tell parents would be, uh, you know, in in conjunction with keeping an open mind and, and being present and being uh, being willing to practice, right? This is something that you know you can't do enough of. There can't be enough experiences where you're in parks or you're playing games or you're just shared experiences with people. That and so the second thing would be to not punish, and I'll use this word not lightly when things don't go well, right? So punish can look all sorts of ways. And and I won't sort of go into the behavior analysis definition of punishment, but you know, you you gave some you gave some examples of um, you know, suspension, sending home from school early, grounding, going to your room. You know, if if a child misunderstands a situation, doesn't have the awareness of of whatever that specific skill is, doing something that's punishing to the child isn't going to make that skill appear. Right. 
that's just going to make the journey longer. And I think it's hard to say that to parents. A lot of the parents that I talk to um, are what I call survival parenting. They're just trying to get through the day because it's been, it's been a hard journey. They, they noticed something was wrong. They had to fight to get a diagnosis. It took years to get a diagnosis. Now they have a diagnosis. Now they're on a wait list to get therapy. Yeah. And then I'm telling the parents to be patient. <laughs> it's, it's, you have yeah. to have a theory of mind to understand that that's really rich coming from me. But, right. you know, we're always in it together as a team, you know, and make sure the providers, you know, as two of the parent too, I, I always say, you know, you've got to be happy with your providers. If it's not working for you, you know, get on many companies wait lists, find a provider that works and is going to, to um, really help your kid get where they want to get, because it's, it's a, it's a marathon. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely difficult. Well, so if you had, if you had one place that maybe people could go, would it be um, that mind blindness book, like for parents? I could imagine not knowing if your kiddo would be, you know, suffering from some of these things. Um, you can go down a rabbit hole if you Google theory of mind. <laughs> but <laughs> right, um, right. Simon, so so he's professor of mental psychopathology and uh, just a brilliant guy and head of the autism research center, Simon Baron Cohen. He, okay. he, he's really and the you, top people. And you also brought up uh, temple temple Grandin. She talks a lot about the different types of brains that we have visual versus language brains. And, and we have different skill sets. And um, I mean, that's another rabbit hole. She has so many books. So um and I think that M chat, since you said you can find that online, you can do it on yourself. I mean, yeah. I guess for theory of mind things, you might not recognize your own behaviors. Maybe you should <laughs> have somebody else. But the M chat is an accessible resource that everyone has with um, access to internet. So, um, well, awesome, Megan. If if somebody has uh, questions for you, I'm going to ask them to go ahead and reach out to me. Um, Jermaine at morethanspecial.org. And to all of my listeners, I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, please share your topics that you want to hear um, or anyone you want me to interview and uh, give us five stars wherever you heard this from. Thank you, Megan, so much. It was great talking to you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to More Than Special. Be sure to tune in again for another program featuring your host, Jermaine Suford, next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thanks again for being a part of the show. 